Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Well, the American Constitution primarily focuses on freedom of religious conscience. But there's another type of violations of conscience that is actually going before the Supreme Court this year involving compulsory unionism. And here to discuss it, uh, Professor Bruce Cameron uh, from Liberty University Law School. The case is called Friedrichs against the California Teachers Association. Uh, welcome back to Freedom's Ring, Bruce. Well, thank you, Alan. I'm uh, from Regent University School of Law. <laughs> oh, my. How did I get that wrong? Forgive me. I think I looked you up somewhere and just copied it, but uh, uh, Regent it is, by all Regent means. Regent it is. All right. And, and I'm also on staff with the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation, which funds the litigation in cases like Friedrichs. Indeed. And... Uh, occasional uh, colleague of mine in crime, so to speak. But uh, we won't get into that. Um, Friedrichs against the California teachers. What did, tell us what this case is about. Well, this case covers uh, not only political belief, but religious belief as well. Uh, I have spoken with Rebecca Friedrichs, the named plaintiff in the case, and uh, she has, in addition to her objections to the union promoting political policies at odds with her own views. She has objections to them based on her religious beliefs. And so um, this is a case that deals with the First Amendment rights that are involved when employees are compelled to either join a labor union or pay union fees as a condition of employment. Now, does this apply only to public employees or does it apply to all employees? Well, Friedrichs involves a group of public employees, and so it specifically applies to public employees. There are some issues that are different with private sector employees, uh, so we should probably limit the discussion to public employees. So she's a teacher. Obviously, the defendant is the California Teachers Association. And as a teacher in a California school, what is it that you're required to do? You can't just completely opt out of the union at all? Uh, no. The, the way it works is this. If you're teaching in the California public schools, you have the option of being either a member of the union, uh, a non-member of the union, or a religious objector. Uh, Rebecca Friedrich and, and all religious objectors are not members of the union. Now, the union dues are about $1,000 a year for California teachers. That seems like a lot of money. Um... It is. And if you object and say, I don't want my money going for politics, under the union's definition of politics, you would get your fee reduced by three to $400 a year. So they're very active in politics, they and their affiliate, the National Education Association. Okay, so if you're a political objector, you get to pay less. You pay only for collective bargaining and, and actual union activities, not for their politics, right? Well, that's the, uh, that's the theory. 
Uh, religious objectors, unfortunately, are required to pay the full amount of the dues, uh, 100% or $1,000 a year, uh, but they pay it to charity. But here's the catch, Alan. What the union calls collective bargaining often involves politics. For example, when you are bargaining for the salary of teachers, for most school districts, salary-related items, employment-related items, are about 70% of the school budget. So the taxpayers are required to fund this decision made in collective bargaining. Now, it seems to me the level of your taxes is the ultimate political issue. And so collective bargaining is, in fact, a political question. I can see the logic of teachers and other public employees, their collective bargaining being a political question because it directly affects uh, how state funds or local funds are spent, which is basic to politics. But I think that's what distinguishes this case from, say, private sector union organizing. Well, there are courts that talk about that, including the U.S. Supreme Court has, has talked about that. But, Alan, I guess the question is this. Do you have to have a political question in order to have a free speech right? And the answer is no. The First Amendment protects all sorts of speech. And so the fact that in the Friedrichs case, collective bargaining is a political question exacerbates the First Amendment problem. It makes it worse. But I think the same problem exists in the uh, in the private sector and under the Railway Labor Act, that, those private sector employees particularly when it is the government that requires the payment of the fees. Well, so that's really the issue, because uh, if we just go back to basics here, uh, the First Amendment protects citizens' right of free speech as against being infringed by the government. Right. If, uh, if you work for McDonald's and McDonald's doesn't want you proselytizing your pro-life views or your pro-gay views, whatever they may be, to customers, um, they have a right to limit your speech to simply asking people, you know, whether they want some ketchup with their fries. <laughs> you know, uh, you're there to do their speech and their business, not your own. It's a private entity. But public entities, uh, public businesses, but, you know, the state and, and entities like public schools uh, have a different uh, responsibility with respect to free speech. Well, it's more clearly the government being involved. But you see, even in McDonald's, if you are represented by a union, it's federal law that prohibits you from representing yourself and inserts instead the union as your representative. So, your speech is being compelled by the government simply through the exclusive bargaining representation of the union and various other regulatory restraints on employees' freedom when it comes to collective bargaining. So the upshot of this suit is to make it possible for people, instead of having to opt out of labor unions, they would have to opt in? Well, there are two issues in the case, Alan. The first one is whether or not employees can be required to pay any money to the union contrary to their desires. If an employee wants to join the union and pay dues, fine. But if the Friedrichs Court wins, then public employees will have complete freedom to decide not to join a union and not to pay its fees if they don't want to. And the result will be 
that unions will no longer have the money to spend on political and ideological and collective bargaining costs from people who disagree with them. Okay, I see that. Um, now, the state of Hawaii proposed a very interesting fix if, uh, if Friedrichs wins her case. What was that that Hawaii thinking to do? Well, the state of Hawaii wants the government to uh, uh, pay the uh, union uh, to represent the employees. You know, <laughs> we'll see how that works out. Governments can presumably fund whoever they want, but it seems to me that if the government is funding a private organization to oppose it, there should be some interesting conflict of interest uh, issues that arise. <laughs> Talk about, then, so. the union not being in a position to bite the hand that feeds it. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's quite humorous. Now, um, we're here in the studio just a few days after the shocking news that Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia died suddenly, unexpectedly. And um, it strikes me that um, some of the political commentary I've read about the Friedrichs case uh, thought that this would be yet another one of those 5-4 closely divided decisions from the Supreme Court. Um, do you have any thoughts on whether Scalia's not being involved in a decision in this case may impact the outcome? Yes. In fact, uh, I think there's a serious issue involved. Here's the thing, Alan. Uh, the uh, Friedrichs case is not being argued or considered by the court in abstract. Instead, it follows two earlier Supreme Court decisions, both funded by the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. The first one was Knox versus SEIU, which was a 2012 case, and the second one was Harris v. Quinn, which was a 2014 case. Both those cases were 5-4 decisions. Both of those cases said that we think Abood was wrongly decided. Justice Scalia was in the majority of both of those. The dissent, particularly in the Harris case, was very solid. That The four more liberal justices were against overturning Abood. And so that means that with the death of Justice Scalia, it seems very unlikely that there are four votes to overturn Abood, given the vote in the Harris case. Now, Okay, I've got to stop you because our listeners don't know what Abood is. You have to remind us. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, Abood versus Detroit Board of Education is the case that in 1977 said it is constitutional to require non-members to join or financially support a labor union that they have no choice other than that when the government and the union agree that they have to support the union. Now, that is what is in the crosshairs of the Friedrichs case. The question is, is this 40-year-old decision still valid? And, uh, and the, the result, oh, I thought, particularly when I read the oral argument transcript, uh, I thought the result would be a 5-4 decision Abood would be struck down, Justice Scalia would be in the majority. So the future of the Supreme Court will determine many issues, but in part it may determine the future of compulsory unionism. That's right. In fact, there are a couple of options, Alan. Uh, in the past, whenever the uh, court did not have all nine justices, 
but only had eight for whatever reason that heard a case, if the court split 4-4, it affirmed the decision of the lower court. That is, the lower court decision uh, was remained invalid, remained intact, and was valid. In the Friedrichs case, the lower court decision by the Ninth Circuit was that these employees did not have a constitutional right to refuse to pay for collective bargaining costs. However, history tells us that another option, in fact, the more common option, is that the court waits in these closely contested cases until a new justice comes on the court. It's then reheard, and they vote on the case with a full compliment. Aha! So whether we get a new appointment by this administration this year or whether it awaits the presidential election, this will be another very interesting issue to watch. That's right. Well, I have to say, you know, I'm a bit of an agnostic on this issue, but I very much respect, you know, the principles that you're advocating that everybody should have have a choice. And I guess I'm an agnostic because there's too much big money on both sides in election campaigns, both uh, billionaire money and union money. And this would address one of those problems, but not the other. So uh, we'll have to take a wait and see. Well, that's fair enough. Our guest today, Professor Bruce Cameron, a law professor at Regent University Law School, discussing a critical case before the Supreme Court, Friedrichs against the California Teachers Association. Uh, stay tuned and we'll see what happens with this and, and the other cases closely divided cases, and the impact of Justice Scalia's death. Bruce, thanks, as always, for being with us on Freedom's Ring. It's good to be with you, Alan. And as we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. 